Hello, it's Eliza here. I'm really excited to introduce a new sponsor, Womanhood. Womanhood is an online lingerie retailer that champions female-founded brands and aims to empower people to buy beautiful pieces for themselves and celebrate their bodies when wearing underwear. One of the first things I noticed about their brand were how real the people wearing the underwear were, with completely different body shapes and sizes and images that were 100% genuine with no retouching or editing at all, which is so refreshing. Shop the curator collection at womanhood.shop and use the code CHEERUP15 to get 15% off your first order. Capturing on-camera experiences of everyday harassment. Photographer Eliza Hatch retelling stories on film in the hope of giving women the courage to speak out. We've had to put his hand on my shorts. The conductor tapped my ass. And the camera following me. His hand was going up my skirt and I, my body somehow froze. You know, no one intervened. Cheer up love, a phrase sometimes shouted at women on the street. They're photographed in places where harassment has happened. Cat crawling to curb crawling. This campaign covers it all. Hello and welcome to the Cheer Up Love podcast with me, your host, Eliza Hatch. Today, I have a very special guest joining me on the show, the wonderful, the groundbreaking and phenomenal Travis Alabanza. Travis is an established performer, writer and theatre maker and queer icon, known for their outstanding performances that engage audiences in the conversation around trans politics and the queer experience. One of Travis's most notable performances, which received great acclaim, winning a Total Theatre Award in 2019 and shortlisted for the Carol Tambor Best of Edinburgh Award, was Burgers. A performance centred around the experience of when someone threw a burger at Travis in the street and shouted a transphobic slur at them. In 2017, Travis became the youngest recipient of the Artist-in-Residence at Tate Workshop Programme and has performed in venues such as the V&A, Tate, ICA, The Roundhouse and Barbican. It is an absolute honour to have Travis on the show with us today and I just cannot wait to speak to them. So stay tuned and just trigger warn, we will be discussing themes to do with transphobia and an experience of sexual harassment later in the show. Thank you so much for being here today. It's honestly such an honour to speak to you and yeah it's such a strange set of affairs in the world today like how are you getting on (laughs) you know i think i'm rolling with it i think it's a real moment where you really notice what privileges you have or don't have or have had or hadn't had before and do have now Mm -hmm. and so i'm just really lucky to be you know in a house with a garden have food on my table and be close to my family Mm. so i feel okay you know of course i miss so many things Mm -hmm. but i know in comparison at the moment i'm lucky to have so many other things you know yeah that's been such like a moment of taking stock of all the things you have and just being like okay so i've got a roof over my head i can appreciate being outside today for five minutes and just things like that which no one has had to really think about before 2020 it seems yeah definitely but yeah so I think the work you're doing is incredibly needed in today's world and you frame extremely important issues in a really relatable and artistic and nuanced way and one of the pieces that really struck me the most was your performance burgers and I was just wondering if you can tell our audience a bit about this performance if they're unfamiliar with it and they haven't seen it and the reasons behind making it of course yeah it's part of the reason why I said yes to this podcast because for me burgers Mm -hmm. actually came about I saw a real connection between the work that you're doing to the work that I wanted to do with burgers Mm. burgers is a theater show that started because someone threw a burger at me in broad daylight in April 2016 and called me a transphobic slur Mm. And then I decided to record 
uh, all of my experiences outside for the following year. And Burgers was actually a, you know, uh, I guess the press and the reviews say it was my first ever show, but actually before that in the queer clubs and basements, I'd been making lots of work about harassment, about public space, about being outside. And Mm -hmm. Burgers for me was what then that looked like when I was given funding, money, time, stages to make a bit of a bigger version of it, I guess. Um, (laughs) And for me, I wanted to make that show because I wanted to document and archive the experience of gender nonconformity through the lens of harassment. I felt like there was lots of conversation happening around or about trans people. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was maybe, you know, when it came out in 2018, I felt like there was much more conversation around trans people, but it was all about what I was finding like quite surface level or introductory, I think is demeaning to the work. It was important stuff. It was like about pronouns and about the names and definitions of our identities. But I wanted to create a piece of work that actually like was a trans lens at a wider topic because I feel like the way trans Mm -hmm. is kind of spoken about currently in the UK is that we're often put as this subject in the side rather than a really Mm -hmm. interesting lens to look through the rest of life. And so Burgers, I guess, was my way of going, this is harassment, but through the lens of a trans person, Mm -hmm. what can we learn about harassment through trans people? Yeah, completely. And I really admire you for taking such a horrific experience like that and turning it into something where you were like, okay, I want people to engage with this. Obviously, this is a horrific thing that's just happened to me and could internalise it and push it aside. But actually, I want to make it into something positive. I want to make it into you you know unfortunately marginalized people often are put in the position of being educators but you did make this like a learning experience for people who are unaware maybe of the daily struggles and fears that many trans and non-binary people Mm. experience in the day-to-day lives and obviously that comes with all of its issues and like you having to take on the burden of making this into like a learning experience but I was just wondering like you know how you reckon with that and also what was the response Mm. to the performance in general well I think consent is the key word in all of this right like there are times when trans, gender non-conforming, further marginalised groups are educating people without consent and without it being on mm. their terms. You know, i.e. you turn up to an event and you look visibly gender non-conforming or trans and then someone asks you about your pronouns and what they mean. There's like a really clear example of when you're right. at a party and suddenly you become a teacher. But I think the difference with Burgers is I entered into that relationship, right? Like I, the incident happened in 2016 the show launched in 2018. So there's a two year gap where I am processing the work, looking at the work, mm-hmm. doing the therapy. Like, you know, the show wasn't therapy for me. I'd pro- I'd process that relationship with the burger, with the incident. Mm. I thought about my relationship harassment and I was like, okay, I'm out to swear on this podcast. I should have Oh, swear, yeah. No, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, shit. And I, was like, um, and I was like, okay, shit, you're still wanting to talk about this. And so for me, when I make work, you know, and this is just my way, you know, there's lots of, you know, there's some people that do use the stage as their therapy. I think for me, I use therapy for my therapy mm. and the stage is trying to do a different task. So the task in this show, I guess maybe was to educate. It was to educate or to agitate to bring awareness. And so that means that the burden, I don't feel the burden, I feel the excitement. Because then the question is, okay, how do you educate in a fun way, in a challenging way, in a risky way? How do you do it in a way that you can't do in an Instagram infographic or that you can't do in a public school because you're not allowed to say this, this or that? Mm-hmm. And so suddenly the show becomes, I mean, that's why that, you know, for spoiler alerts, but the show was a cooking show, you know, like I make a burger live on stage and I ask a random 
white cisgender man from the audience every night to join me and help me cook this burger. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that becomes a really fun way to engage with a topic that could be just traumatic. And it puts me in control of the educational position. And so did I find it a burden? No. Um, Did I find it really challenging? Of course, so, so challenging. Mm. But also for me, it was a reclamation like harassment I think takes away your consent yeah it strips it away from you and so much of the process afterwards is about reckoning with that lack of consent and here I was fortunate enough to be able to tour a show you know for two years we were on we were in Brazil when lockdown was called so we were still on tour with the show for two years where every night I get to reclaim that story back from the person that threw the burger and stead onto my lens I, I I thought it was invigorating for me yeah, I mean, there's something so powerful about being able to like reclaim a story and frame it in a different way and say, look, this horrible thing happened to me, but I'm taking back control of the situation and I'm framing it in a different lens and I'm giving you the opportunity to look at the kind of things that I experience in my day-to-day life. And that's something that I try to do in my work. And I think in a way, it's one of the things which can make people connect to it and can make people actually see it for what it is and it's almost like tricking them into engaging with it exactly oh my god exactly (laughs) the trick is so real i mean that's why burgers you know was pop colors pop images this very like bright and stylish and slick promo very sexy promo all of this you know and then they Mm -hmm. come in they think like the first 15 minutes is like this very like joyous cooking show all of that's to trick them in. It's, you know, I love tricking people and pulling the rug, you know, we bring the man. Mm-hmm. The first thing that the man has when he gets brought on stage is he gets offered a drink from my very extensive bar that's inside my kitchen. I bring mm-hmm. out a cushion for him. I give him an apron. I'm asking if he needs anything else. You know, I spend the first 10 minutes making him very comfortable because mm-hmm. I know soon the kitchen temperature is going to go up and he will be both (laughs) literally and metaphorically sweating you know (laughs) yeah trickery is a a very important part I think because so often people can just like switch off from an issue if they see it framed and presented to them in the way that we're always presented with these kinds of issues like especially in the media and so I think that's a really really important and yeah really well constructed part of the work that you do Mm -hmm. A lot of themes that come up in your work, and especially in Burgess, is this lack of bystander intervention. And I was wondering if you could talk about this conflict of being hyper-visible in a society that still excludes and marginalises trans people. And there's just like, yeah, there's this lack of help and intervention from the same society when a trans person is targeted and harassed in public. And I've seen you, you know, talk about this in an interview as well, being hyper-visible, but then also being ignored. Yeah. Well, I, I think... To be gender non-conforming specifically, but trans in any spectrum, is to know that like things just don't make sense, right? Like you can experience polar opposites at the same time. That like, mm. um, whilst you're also rupturing binaries of gender, you are also normally rupturing the binaries of how we experience life. You know that you could be both stared at by every single person on the tube, mm. whilst then two seconds later, no one noticing you when you need help, you know? Mm. But I think that similarly to lots of forms of harassment with lots of different people, uh, there's an element of victim blaming that happens with the violence that happens to trans people. Mm. Almost as if the fact of violence is us transgressing gender, not then the violence that happens because we transgress it. And so, you know, people will often say, well, if you didn't want to experience this violence, why did you dress like this? Yes. Similar phrase that we see to many different types of bodies that experience harassment, right? Mm. And so I think it creates almost like a, you haven't helped yourself, so we're not going to help you scenario. 
But I also think that so much of harassment to trans people is about people shifting their internal feelings of shame, loss, desire, disgust onto us, you know? And so I also think that people don't want to help us because they have to then reckon with their relationship to us. You know, it's so interesting that people always place transness in a corner because I think the reason transness is up for such a debate so often is because of how closely home, close to home it is for so many people, whether they're cis or trans or not, mm. people's relationship with gender is very complicated. Yeah. The amount of men that have turned out to harass me, but previously were romantic partners mm-hmm. who in moments of intimacy have disclosed that they too once felt like they needed to dress up and then changed because society told them to. I sometimes fantasize whether these men that shout at us on bridges, throw burgers at us, scream at us, call us whatever, also miss the part of, like, are jealous of us too. I like, wow, you represent a freedom. Yeah. Like, you represent a choice, mm-hmm. and I'm going to contain it again. And so I think that the violence never shocks me. But for me, it's the violence that happens afterwards by people not doing anything mm-hmm. that continuously will take me by surprise. Yeah. And I think it's just because we as a society have been programmed to work in individual rather than feel connected and responsible for each other too you know yeah that's so true and I think that's really really valid what you're saying about the whole victim blaming element of it which we see a lot with cis women Mm -hmm. but I think this is amplified even more with trans and gender non-conforming people because you often hear this like oh well you know you bring it on yourself just as you said and you know why do you dress like that if you don't want the attention and this is a narrative that we don't hear enough, I think, because we're still quite focused on the lens of viewing harassment as an issue which happens to predominantly cis women. And I've heard an interview before where you were actually speaking about how when you are harassed, it actually comes from all sides, including being harassed by women too. Yes. And that's an area which is not explored at all, I don't really think, or at least it's not given enough airtime. Absolutely not. Well, we don't want to talk about it because yeah. the way that the gender binary works and the way that gender works and the way that whiteness works as well Mm -hmm. is that in order for us to feel comfortable we have to believe that violence can only work in one way Mm -hmm. that people can only be victims or perpetrators that there is not a world where you can be both a perpetrator and a victim of the same violence or the same thing so in order for us to get our heads around misogyny feminism patriarchy we have to build a world where cisgender women are only the recipients of the violence of patriarchy and misogyny and can also enact that same violence on other people, Yeah. right? And actually that's just not the case, right? If we look throughout the history of colonialism, slavery, etc., historically white women castrated black cisgender men. Mm-hmm. Now, if we are looking at the current lens of 2020 feminist discourse on the internet, well, that's not possible because uh, men can't have violence inflicted on them by women. But actually, that's a gendered and racialized violent act against men that have been throughout history. Yeah. And I use that as an example to show that violence doesn't work in a one-way street. And there is always a complex way uh, for violence to work when, in fact, gender is involved. And I think the reason why we don't talk about the violence that trans people face from everyone is because that would involve us interrogating who has power and who does not. Right? And you know, I haven't done a racial breakdown of all the people that have harassed me on the street, but predominantly a lot of them are white when it turns to women. And I wonder, I don't Mm. have the answer for that, but I do wonder what that means around power and reenactment and all these things, you know? 
I will, I think that the first time I was harassed by women and children, you know, because it is children, to, uh, that's often sometimes how, in my experience, again, it's different for everyone, when cisgender women have been complicit in my harassment, it's like their child will film me and laugh yeah. at me. And then there's a split second where mm-hmm. the parent then has to decide whether to scorn their child, stop their child, speak to their child or join in. And sometimes, you know, there's right. a lovely conversation. Sometimes you can tell that the parent's uncomfortable. But a lot of the times the parents have then also joined in. Fucking and, hell. Yeah. And it, and it's wild. You know, I remember I, the first time I had a group of mums join in with their teenage kids in pointing and laughing at me, thinking that, you know, you're not noticing it, but you are. And so nice. Yeah. I mean, it's just wild, you know, and then you have the choice, right? Like you ignore it or you confront it. But Mm -hmm. then you become the angry man in a dress that the world wants to see you as anyway. And they become the victims of angry black, what they will now see as masculinity. Right. Right. And so I think that, yes, there's the violence that happens with being gender nonconforming. But so often the violence is all of these optics around the harassment. Mm. You know, who Mm -hmm. is allowed to be seen as a victim? There is a long history of white cisgender women being allowed to access victimhood as they should sometimes, you know, there is, you know, you should be able to declare you have pain and be validated that that pain is real, right? But what I think Burgers was trying to say is, look, for how long have we been talking about harassment and still we're only seeing the same faces as being able to be harassed? And that means that, that doesn't just mean that these people are listened to, but it also means they have first access to support centres. It also means they have first access to resources. So anything that comes up around harassment and violence will centre first cis white gender white women and then everyone else second. You know, and that's the same with black women too. Dark, darker black skinned women in the recent reports were shown that doctors don't believe their pain as much yeah. as white women. And I think that's all linked. You know, yeah. it's all linked to who can be a victim and who can't be. Yeah, and because I think we're so used to seeing this image of what a victim looks looks like, as you said, and we've been fed this image that a victim is a white, cis, straight young woman basically and we've seen that in films and books newspapers everything and it basically just works its way down the scale of privilege at the end Mm -hmm. of the day doesn't it it's like the most privileged people or who are seen as victims are going to get the best kind of treatment i suppose in society it's an interesting one trying to deconstruct that women being misogynistic and women being the perpetrators themselves and i almost think is it a case of the bullied becoming the bullier like you know when that that can happen when someone's like oh well you know i've been oppressed so like now I'm gonna put it on someone else I think you also have to sort of be in a privileged position yourself to even exercise that yeah and I think it's like no blanket rule right and it's and it's of course it's not to say that like cis white women don't experience countless amounts of like unfair and unjust violence from men of course we know this like we know that there is a ridiculous epidemic of violence against yeah all marginalized genders including cis women I just think that there becomes a point in this time where If we continue to only have the conversation starting with one person rather than starting with everyone, then we miss out on all the connections that we can be made in each other. And then also solidarity, right? We miss out on the chance to build solidarity between trans and cis people who are ultimately being harmed by the same thing, gender, patriarchy and misogyny, you know? And I do think you're right to think about the bullied becoming the bullier or actually just power, and what it feels like to be disenfranchised from power and consent and how do you regain autonomy and control again. 
I also think that it's a chance to enact racism a lot of the time. You know, I think it's an encha- an, a mm-hmm. chance to enact white supremacy, to police, you know, to, the, mm-hmm. to, to really police bodies. Because that's what's happening when we correct or try to correct gender nonconformity in public is we just want to turn into police. You know, we're saying you don't get to do this, so I'm going to punish you for doing this. Mm. You know, you don't get to choose how to be. I'm going to make your life worse. And and I think that it's not a it's not a if or when you're harassed when you're gender nonconforming. You you know if you're going outside, gender nonconforming, feminine, you are going to experience harassment that day. It's just more of a question of mm. who from. Interrupting this briefly to talk to you about something we should all talk more about, periods. I didn't get my first period until way after my friends did, so I literally always thought they were overreacting when they complained about cramps. I also didn't realise that you can get cramps anywhere, not just in your tummy. So when it finally happened to me, I actually had no idea what was going on because my whole body felt like I had just run an entire marathon the day before, and I quickly realised, wow, my friends weren't overreacting. Now, I'm not really a huge fan of taking painkillers unless I absolutely have to. So when I discovered Day's CBD infused tampons, I was super keen to try them out. And to my surprise, they actually work. They're also all of my favorite things, which are dye and pesticide free, organic, clinically validated, plastic free, and they come in the most gorgeous packaging, reusable pouches, and the cutest aluminium tin. To get five pounds off your first box, use my discount code cheeruplove at the checkout when you visit yourday.com. That's spelled D-A-Y-E. Thank you, Day. Yeah, totally. And I watched your TED Talk and I found it so, so moving. And what really struck me was you did this opening piece where you declared that you were trans to the audience and you said it in order to move forwards and be on the same page, which is something that you say a lot of trans people have to do in public all of the time. And a comment that you can hear from a lot of ignorant people when confronted with a gender non-conforming person is something, you know, asking to explain yourself or not understanding your identity yeah. or basically, yeah, a line of questioning. Yeah. And I was just wondering, why do you think people are so affronted? Why do you think some mm-hmm. people want to kind of itemize and label the people's identities for their consumption, basically, and ultimately mm. as like a judgment? That's such a good question. I think because people have an obsession with order and knowing things, right? Mm-hmm. People need to be able to place someone somewhere so that they can then move on. It's almost as if they're anxious not knowing or not anxious not figuring out, you know? And so I find that even, you know, we're having this interview now in the midst of Trans Awareness Week, yeah. which feels like the 200th Trans Awareness Week I've lived through. Um, <laughs> and it feels like we're still on the conversation of how to talk about pronouns, Mm -hmm. how, what these different words mean, all of this, because we can't, to go to somewhere deeper would would implicate each other in this. So what I mean to say is that I think that again, like people want to place, I've said this a few times, but people want to place trans in a corner, right? Mm -hmm. And because I think that means they can create a distance from how they and themselves are relating to us. And so, if we put our names and our identities and all of this first, then they can go, oh, this person just said I'm there, they're this, and that's not me, I'm this. Mm. So now I don't need to listen, or now I'm listening as like an empathetic figure from over there that doesn't, could never relate to you, but is gonna listen and nod liberally and nicely. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I go to the core of the issue first and actually talk about what trans is talking about, maybe without the word trans and these identities, you'll actually start to hear a resemblance in someone else's story. 
Yeah. And then you've got a closeness to transness that I think that people don't want, you know? So I think that there's this pressure on trans people to disclose all the time first so that then the cisgender person has the control and power Mm. on how close to be to us. That's interesting. But like that also kind of makes me wonder who is that benefiting? You know, is that benefiting you or is that just something that is benefiting the audience? Like, are you trying to make them comfortable or are you trying? Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. so many things that trans and gender non-conforming people are forced to do in life are to kind of make other people feel comfortable around around their existence. And I'm just wondering, like, I think it depends depends the situation you know like I think sometimes it's not helpful to disclose straight away it's a it's a it's an ache you know it's a pain you just want to talk about something else other times I'll like rush to say it really quickly so I can decipher if the space is safe Mm. or not and I'm like if I just do this now then we're over it you know or if I just tell someone now then we can just decide where we're at and it's a toss-up you know other times you know like it's interesting like at the moment I'm in the middle of press for my new show and I fought after burgers and the success of burgers that maybe some of the interview questions would skip the identity bit and go to like the craft bit and talk about the writing and talk about like you know the actual job that I do yeah but we're still on the first bit and that's when it's annoying you're like hold on a minute I thought that I've done that I thought I've proven that I'm good at my actual job can we talk about my actual job you know? Yeah. But we're still hung up on me disclosing my identity or, you know, like sometimes I think it's super relevant to say, oh, I'm a trans artist or a trans writer. But, you know, I remember looking at some of the reviews of Burgers and so many of them were about my identity and not the set design or not the lighting or not the like yeah physical choices, the actor, you know, all of this. So yeah, sometimes I think it's great. And other times I'm like, hmm, how is this holding us both back? You know, how is this a way to just keep me in my place and you in your place too? Yeah, like sometimes it might just be nice to be recognised as an artist and as a creative first rather than be categorised first and then have everything focus on your identity, which shouldn't have to be the first thing people talk about when they're talking about your art. Exactly, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm obviously someone that's made a lot of work about transness, so I get why it would come in sometimes. But there's other moments when, you know, I'm being introduced and a lot of other things I've, I've done. Like, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, actually, you know, there's, if this was any other artist, they'd be talking about, you know, this thing or this thing or this thing. And then you pick trans. Yeah. I'm like, because mm-hmm. some days transness can feel like the most boring thing to me. I'm like, I'm so at home with it now. You know, I'm not still yeah. debating my transness. I'm not still figuring out if I am. That's ship sealed, you know, if there's anything I'm sure of, I'm pretty sure of the fact that I'm trans, you know? <laughs> and so there's so many more interesting things that could be at the forefront of the conversation, you know? And also like, there's loads of trans artists that are shit, <laughs> you know? There's just like, there's loads of cis artists that are shit. Like yeah. the trans part didn't make me good at my job, you know? And I think that's what's frustrating. It's like, at the first few years I was like, actually, you know, maybe this is fair, I'm earning my strikes. And now I'm like, actually, there's been enough years of me not being enough people going oh maybe what they do mm-hmm. is all right actually to talk about the work that might be all right rather than my identity yeah 100 i think that's so important and i think that's something which we need to move forward with as a society rather than going over the same old headlines like over and over and over again and obviously issues of be- like trans issues mm-hmm. of being sensationalized more than ever at the moment in like the media and 
yeah, like rights, like just basic rights are being systematically rolled back. You know, we've seen the UK government like dropping the GRA bill Mm -hmm. and all of this kind of stuff. And you're just thinking it would be great to be able to just live and make art and do all of these things Mm -hmm. without having to always come back to the fact that there is still such an oppression and there is still such a misunderstanding and there is still such a lack of basic dialogue that just centers around human rights rather than this being a political issue which it just shouldn't be because it is just basic human rights and i think it's so annoying that there is just this discourse going on all the time in the media and that's almost as why it feels like yeah you have to declare your identity Mm -hmm. and like yes people have to touch on that when they Mm -hmm. interview about your work because it's still such a unfortunately Mm -hmm. sensationalized and really topical issue for loads of conservative extremist feminist people i don't know and like normal people i suppose as well and it's just like yeah there's a lot to get past first unfortunately i I really think that phrase resonated a lot to get past and i think you're so right to think of it like that is that you know we can get lost in words like privilege and oppression etc but i think it comes to like how many things do people need to get past before they can just meet you as who you are Mm -hmm. and how many I really like that turn of phrase to get moved to get past because Mm -hmm. it does feel like that it's like okay there's all these other aspects of who we could be and you've you have to work really hard to get past all these other things just to figure out about me first yeah and I think that's a real sign of like what your identities mean in the world if people are able to get to you and the core of you quicker and first you know, it's like, yeah, oh, totally. you probably will then move through the world with more ease and and a lightness of touch and all these things. Because every time you meet someone, you're not coming across all of their projections onto you, you know? Exactly. So like, for instance, if like a white cis director does a Q&A about his film after his film's um, being played in a theatre, no one's going to ask him about his identity or his sexuality or his gender they're just going to ask him like oh so no. you know what why, why did you decide to shoot the film like this or what were your ideas behind this that and the other exactly you know? <laughs> and they probably would and they probably wouldn't call him an instagram blogger yep. or an activist you know none of these things are bad jobs those are two jobs that are apps you know activists are definitely not instagram blogger i yeah. can respect you know but i'll be on stage after doing you know burgers was on tour for two years and was playing at the South Bank Centre in the centre of London, selling out. And the first thing I was introduced by, by one interviewer, was a trans blogger and activist. Mm. And I'm like, you just saw my theatre show yeah. in a in a like national arts portfolio place, you know? It's just, it's interesting, that dynamic of like, yeah. we still can't talk about the fact that I could be occupying this space in this job, in this climate, you know? Yeah. God, yeah, still so much to get past. Yeah. So much work that needs to be done. So this is the part of the show where we read out our submitted story of sexual harassment, which is mm-hmm. sent in by a member of the Cheer Up Love community to discuss and myth bust. And this story was sent in by Lauren. Mm-hmm. One evening, when the days were long, I was walking home in South Philly's Italian market, and a group of young men on bikes rode up behind me and started yelling. They pulled up in front of me, and I saw that one of them had grabbed a cabbage off one of the produce stands. He held it at me, and it hit me square in the chest, and they all laughed and rode away. The cabbage made a loud thud and fell to the ground. I was stunned. I couldn't move for what that felt like forever, but eventually I just walked home. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Lauren, so much for sending in that story. And I'm 
so sorry that happened to you. What the fuck is wrong with people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I obviously mm-hmm. picked this story to read out because of the the links to the experience that mm-hmm. you had in relation to the performance burgers. And you know, what yeah. is wrong with people? Like, why do people throw food at strangers? I just don't understand. Yeah. I think it's so. Also, I think brave is an overused word, but I hope it was empowering to write in and share that story too. Mm. I feel like there's something that happens when food is thrown that feels nonsensical. Mm. You're like, this feels like a surrealist act of violence. Like, why are you throwing food? It feels like I'm back in school or right. a canteen. And so I feel like writing it out and sending it and vocalising that it happened is such an important part of the process of when you have food thrown at you. Yeah, I, I did this thing alongside Burgers called Trans Talks, where every city that I did the show in, uh, we'd host a dinner of burger and chips with trans people in the local area. Amazing. Um, Vegan burgers, because I knew the queer audience. But um, <laughs> but in that, I'd ask who else has had food thrown at them. Mm. And it was, you know, I think we had 190 different people for dinner over the year in the end. And it was like 65% of people said they had food thrown Fucking at them in public. Hell. And I was just like, in some part, comforted because I was like, wow, I thought this experience of mine was, I thought the surreal part was the food. At the same time, I was like, what does this mean? Like, what is this power play when men are throwing food at people? Yeah, it almost feels like if you would hear someone else telling the story as if they were like, if they were the perpetrator, it would almost sound like a trivial act because it brings you back to that place of being in school and being in food fights and all of this kind of stuff. And something that friends would do, not friends, but do you know what I mean? Like in a Mm -hmm. context where it's it's more like, I don't know, banter than some complete stranger on the street, like neither is acceptable I don't think at all. I'm not up for any form of food throwing. But I think to some people, it would sound funny almost, you know, like, yeah, it's, like it, it would sound, it wouldn't sound as shocking and as damaging as it actually is for the victim. And, you know, I don't really know what that is yeah. because I don't think yeah. having a cabbage thrown at you from afar is like any mm-hmm. less horrific than someone just slapping you on the ass really hard or something. They're mm-hmm. obviously different and they inhabit different spaces of assault and all of this kind of stuff, but it's still just as shocking. But I think there's like a level of disconnect I think when there's like food involved because people think oh well you know it's not real assault or it's not that serious yeah exactly and I feel like you know harassment is a reminder of this person that's enacting the violence on you seeing you as less than human or less than with you know yeah without autonomy and I feel like food is another way of so horribly doing that because it's like like animal you know it's like I'm gonna treat you like not a human being. Yeah, there's actually something so fucked about it. It's truly despicable. Like, I was in an Uber the other week, going, and it was Halloween, and some car pulled up beside my car and I had the windows open and then, like, threw a whole box of eggs at me through the window of the Uber and then drove off. And, you know, I looked around and they were gone. I had no idea what happened, but I was so shocked. And it was so horrible. Mm. And obviously... If you just say, oh, I got egg, to be like, people be like, oh, whatever, not a big deal. But the actual physical act of having all of that like yeah. food on you and it being so, you know, the impact is really yeah. violent, aggressive thing to experience. And I just, yeah, I don't think people will like understand maybe the gravity of it unless it's like happened to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Real low life thing to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's just gross. It's just gross. And I always am like, who is hurting you that you want to enact that so bad yeah. on other people? Accountability. And I think it comes back to the bystander intervention. You know, if we start creating a... Don't, yeah, If totally. we start creating a society where people are held accountable and not by cops and not by this other form of like 
court system that we know doesn't favor you know marginalized people anyway yeah and actually we build a society where we are holding each other accountable the streets are holding each other accountable i wonder if we'd see a decrease in people thinking that they can do that without consequence yeah. you know 100% because that's just something which is still doesn't happen on the scale that it should happen like at all it didn't happen with you yeah. it didn't, didn't happen with Lauren doesn't happen with most of the people I hear stories from yeah. and it leaves the it leaves the the victim feeling isolated and alone and standing in their mm-hmm. trauma and just thinking like mm-hmm. okay well no one has said anything so was it that bad am I just overreacting no one has intervened and I think mm-hmm. yeah that, that can be a very very isolating experience to, you know to add on something which is already quite horrific basically Mm-hmm. But anyway, thank you so much, Lauren, yeah. for sending that in. And if you're listening and would like to send in your story to be featured and discussed on the podcast, then please DM us on Instagram or submit via the website. Travis, thank you so, so, so much for your time and your thoughts. And I'm going to link resources and links to your work in the thank show you. notes. But what do you have coming up? I see you've yeah, got play coming I mean, apparently, yeah. who knows with COVID? But, I mean, um, who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm exciting me. Uh, my show, Overflow, is launching the reopening of the Bush Theatre. Um, I'm not in it, but mm. it's a play starring an incredible trans woman actress called Reese Leons. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about toilets and it's about tracing your life through like how you grew up through the toilets that you've been in throughout your life. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, actually really relevant to the conversation we've had today. It's about the relationship yeah. between cis women and trans women and public space. But I promise, like yeah. a lot of my work, it's not all doom and gloom. There's some good roles <laughs> in there too. Um, there's some good jokes. And uh, yeah, it's uh, opening at the bush, but I think it's also going to be available for live streaming. If, of course, right now you're not feeling like booking anything yeah. for this side of the year is something you want to do. That's amazing. Well, I will definitely put links to that wherever possible if, if there are links available for that yes, yep, yes, I'll put links yes. to that in the show notes and encourage everybody to sign up or go see it because that sounds really amazing and very needed Thank in you. today's world <laughs> and I'm so gassed about your work and I'm so gassed about this I mean it I think it's like really important that you are documenting conversations around harassment that go beyond statistics and figures and just the experience itself. Um, I've been listening to a few of the episodes last night and I just think it's just, I'm really glad to be on this podcast because I think it's a really important archive. Not an easy, I was going to say beautiful archive, but the wrong word for something like this, but a really important archive. So yeah, big up. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So yeah, lastly, where can people find you and support your work? And also if there are any last things that you would like to shout out, ways that people kind of can show up and support trans and non-binary people? I would say uh, you can find me online anywhere, Travis Alabanza. Um, I would say in regards to supporting trans and gender non-conforming people, um, of course I could shout out charities and work like Gendered Intelligence, like Gallup, like all these places doing the work. But I really think... Um, it's about spending some time with yourself and mapping your own relationship to your gender and your your inconveniences with your own gender and think about how that gender is perceived outside, in public, in private, all these things. Because I feel like the way to build true allyship and solidarity is to understand your proximity to transness and the effect that it's had on your life, whether you're trans or not. Amazing. That was so beautifully said. Thank you so much for saying that and for everything. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day and all of the other things you're doing today. Thank you so much. How do I, how, do I just exit off at five?
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cheer Up Love podcast. And a special thanks to my guests for coming on and to the members of the Cheer Up Love community for sending in your stories. If you would like to submit your story to the podcast, then just DM us on Instagram or submit via our website. If you like what you've been listening to, please subscribe and leave a review. It would mean a lot. And also, lastly, an extra special thank you to Alex Grews, who composed the wonderful music that you've been listening to.